All right, if you can, turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 5. Psalm chapter 5. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 845. 845. Psalm chapter 5. For the director of music, for flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it find refuge in the Lord. Have you ever been in a point in your life where you have been beat down and you can no longer fight the good fight? You are just too exhausted and too spent to go on. And it's not that you no longer care or that you want to see evil prosper, but you've reached your limit and you cannot go forward. So instead, you just sit down, put your head in your hands, and sigh. In our psalm for today, David is in such a state. His enemies have been relentless in their wicked schemes, so much so that they had worn him out. This king was, was at a point where he, he could no longer fight back. And instead, he exhaled deeply, giving his troubles over to his God. 
Now the structure of Psalm 5 is pretty straightforward. What you see is a a repetition of thoughts, or rather a, a furthering of thoughts by the psalmist. In verses 1 through 3, David is praying for justice to be done as he sighs to his God. In verses 4 through 6, he then reminds, reminds, how much, reminds the Lord how much he abhors evil men. In verse 7, we see that David appeals to God's great love in order to find welcome in his house. And then the cycle repeats. In verse 8, David prays again, this time to be led in God's righteousness. In verses 9 through 10, David desires to see God banish these evil men. And finally, in verses 11 and 12, we see that God welcomes all those who seek refuge in him. Now, uh, another thing to note about this psalm is is the connection that it has with the previous psalm, Psalm 4. Both psalms deal with those who told lies and sinned with their tongues. Both deal with the distress that these slanderers had caused David. Most likely, Psalm 4 was an evening song that consoled the king as he prepared to lie down and rest, while Psalm 5 is a morning him that David would sing as he readied himself for the day. With all that being said, let's dive in. David begins this psalm with a, a plea for God to listen. Look at verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my sighing. This expression of lament shows the the great weight that was placed upon the psalmist's shoulders. David was not so much concerned with the formality of prayers. Rather, he came to God exhausted, beat down by his troubles. So he sighed to the Lord, realizing that words could not express his innermost feelings. You see, the king understood what Paul later, would later describe in his letter to the Romans. Look at Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. What Paul explains to the New Testament believer, David already practiced. Dear friends, God not only listens to the words that you confess, but he looks to your demeanor as well. He hears your unintelligible exhales. He sees into the depths of your heart. And he knows more about what you need than even you do. David sighing to the Lord communicated more about his troubles than if he had spoken a thousand words. The other day, I I had someone come into my office who was just beat down by life. 
And this person, they didn't have to say one word to me. They just sat down in the chair and let off a great sigh. And I knew. Now, I'm just a man. But if, if I can tell when someone is under the heavy pressures of life, imagine what God knows. David was under an intense burden. So he sought after his God. He sighed to his God. Let's continue on in verse 2. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. Here we see the relationship that David had with his God. He calls him my King and my God. The way he addresses the Lord is both humble and intimate at the same time. And it is very reminiscent of when Christ would pray, Abba, Father. And how Paul instructs us to pray. Galatians 4, verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Let me ask you. How do you view God? Is he someone who is approachable? Is he like a father to you? Or is he distant and unaccessible? Is he more like the president, you know, someone you'll, you'll never get close to, rather than a parent, someone who's dear to your heart? David was as a son to God. And he approached the Father in such a manner when he would pray. This psalm lays that bare. He continues on in verse 3. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. It is in the morning when, when David draws fresh hope. The, the dark of the night has been swept away, and there is the newness of God's love and his compassion. So it is in the morning that we see our psalmist stretching his hands upward towards the heavens, towards his Lord, in eager expectation. David looks for the, the mercy and the goodness of his God and anticipates what will come, even though his worries are not far behind him. He looks for an answer to his request. What is that request? The answer to that lies in verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. David's faith leads him to repentance. His petition is for the Lord to lead him. David knows the corruption of his own heart. He knows that, that his enemies would cause him to sin. So he asked God to create for him a straight path. 
David could have easily returned violence for violence. He could have spoken falsehoods about those people who were slandering his name. But that is not how the Lord would have him respond. Again, Paul talks about this very thing in Romans 12, verses 19 through 21. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is David's struggle. Because of his enemies, he is tempted to sin. Let me ask you, when, when evil comes your way, how do you react? When people spread rumors about you, are you quick to slander their name in response? Or do you leave such things to God? Brothers, sisters, you live in an unjust world where wicked things that people do will not receive justice in this life. And you have a choice to make. You can take it upon yourselves to seek out vengeance. Or, like David, you can sigh to the Lord and give over your cares to him. So we see that in verses 1 through 3, God has painted for us a picture of what his love for his son looks like. Yet as we move on in this psalm in verses 4 through 6, we, we get a glimpse of what our culture today would deem as the disagreeable nature of the Christian God. It is this part of Yahweh that, that people cannot stand. You see, what society wants is a God who loves everyone in the way they want love to be defined. A love that overlooks sin, calling no one to task. But the God of the Bible is not that God. Evil cannot be overlooked. For God is both holy and just. What do these verses communicate? First, we, we see that God takes no delight in evil. Look, look at verse 4. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. God finds no enjoyment in the sinful acts of men. Now, this sentiment is fine enough. A tolerant man could take no pleasure in evil and yet live happily side by side a man who does take pleasure in evil. Such a tolerant man will not join in the activities of the evil man, yet he will neither condemn them either. Yet in verse 4, we see something more stated than this. For the psalmist says that the wicked cannot dwell with God. So there's something more than just tolerance going on here. And we see it in verse 5. 
The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. David repeats the sentiment that the wicked men cannot dwell with the Lord, but he also gives a reason for it. God hates all who do wrong. This is a tough pill to swallow. We often hear today that God God hates the sin but loves the sinner, and it is a nice sentiment that seems to appease our culture, but it's not quite accurate. Yes, God loves the sinner, but Scripture is clear that God hates the sinner as well. We just read it in this psalm. And we see it again elsewhere. Psalm 11, verse 5. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. Or how about Romans 9, 13? Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. These are the texts of scriptures that we must deal with. We we can't just run away from them and pretend that they don't exist. Listen, sin doesn't exist apart from the sinner. It originates in the heart. And God has wrath towards the ungodly. When you read passages about hell in the Bible, it isn't sin that is suffering in the lake of fire, but sinners. And we see this concept in the very next verse of our psalm. Look at Psalm 5, verse 6. You destroy those who tell lies, bloodthirsty and deceitful men. The Lord abhors. Here we see the result of God's feelings towards the sinner. His destruction comes upon these bloodthirsty and deceitful men. I mean, look look how David categorizes them later on in this psalm. Verses 9 and 10. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins. For they have rebelled against you. This is not a pretty picture. The the imagery is that of death. And they are guilty. And, And banishment from the kingdom is the appropriate condemnation. Listen, if God did not hate evil... And and those who do evil, then his love would not be holy or just. And his gospel message would not be as wonderful. The fact that Jesus would die for people he abhors demonstrates how much greater his love for them is. And this is exactly what we see in verse 7. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down toward 
your holy temple. David is not under the impression that he is without fault. He he knows that he has broken the Lord's commandments. Yet in contrast to these deceitful men, these, these men who love violence, David finds welcome by his God. And why is that? By his great mercy. The Hebrew word translated mercy here is hesed, and it literally means unfailing love. Where the sinners cannot stand and are destroyed in God's presence, David is welcomed in because of God's merciful love. This has nothing to do with how good of a person David was. And honestly, he wasn't that good of a person. He was just as bad as his enemies. He was a liar. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. Yet he could come before his God in reverent submission because he looked to God's love and mercy. But God's love is not just for David. In verses 11 and 12, we see that all who seek shelter in the Lord will be welcomed. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor. As with a shield. God's mercy extends out to to any who take refuge in him. Think about that term for a moment. Refuge. A refuge is a place of shelter and safety. It it is a position where where your enemies, they, they cannot reach you. And you no longer face the threat of death. It is a home where your worries and your anxieties are are lifted and you can sleep in peace. And what better shelter can there be than God himself? This is why the people sing for joy. This is why they rejoice, for his mercy is the shield that surrounds them. It is his love that protects them from their great accuser. Satan loves to point out God's law and shout, guilty! And in many ways, he's right. Except for the refuge that God has provided in his son. We saw this in our first scripture reading, Romans 3, verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Friends, this is the great news that you have in Jesus. That, that even though you were once considered enemies of God, abhorred and destined for destruction, Jesus paid the penalty for your sin upon that cross. God's wrath was poured out on him in order that you might find rescue. That you might take refuge in him. No one is deserving of what Christ did for them. Not David, not his enemies, not you, and certainly not me. Yet God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the hope that David looked to. This is what David prayed for in his troubles. When he was spent and he could no longer fight back, and all that was left was the temptation to give up. Instead, he sighed to the Lord and expectantly waited for God's mercy, for God's love to bring him home. And our psalmist has the same of you today. When, you're, when your enemies continue to battle, and you can no longer fight for yourself, seek the Lord. Look to the refuge that is in Christ. It is at the cross where you will find your rest. It is in Jesus where your sighing will be met. Let us pray. Father, too often we have nowhere to turn but to you. We are grateful for your unfailing mercy towards us. Even though our hearts are blackened by sin, your, your abounding love overshadows your hatred. That is why you sent your son to die for our sins. May we know Jesus and the refuge that we have in him. Cleanse us by his blood. And may your Holy Spirit guide us in straight paths because of our enemies. Lead us in your righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.